Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 210 of Be The Drop, founder of Adelaide Hills Distillery, Sasha LaForger, reflects on his journey from startup in 2014 to receiving the prestigious award of Best Distiller in the World in early 2020. Sasha shares his biggest challenges and also his top tips for running a successful food and beverage business. This is Sasha's version of Be The Drop. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Sasha, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. My pleasure. Thanks for coming along to Lot 100. So I'd love it if you could explain your item of significance and that's something that gives us a little bit of context of who you are and what your journey's been. I guess for me it'd have to be our first still. Uh, It's named Fleur. Uh, We made it back in 2014 uh, and we made all of our um, spirits on it up until we moved up here to our, you know, big place. Um, So, yeah, it's it's all recycled copper. It's on a – it was a beer keg originally. Recently I've been saying, you know, it's really humble beginnings, (laughs) which is sort of – very obvious when you see our first still. Mm, oh, Fleur, what a great name. Mm, yeah. And so is Fleur still in action? Yeah, yeah, still use it, 100%. Um, it's really great. It's a really great still. Uh, like it genuinely made internationally awarded gins, which is pretty wacky. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we still use it to do trial runs and pilot batches. So before we go into this internationally awarded gins, how did you get to that point in 2014, making your own still to, you know, go on to then create award-winning gins? How does, where does that come about from? Um, so I have Italian heritage, so we were always making wine, um, and I just enjoyed it. So after making wine, we made beer, we made cider, um, and eventually you run out of stuff to ferment, and the next thing is to just start distilling it. Um, so when I was 17, I bought a still from a homebrew shop uh, and started distilling in the laundry. And then, you know, at the time, the craft distilling industry just didn't exist at all. Um, so for a kid in the laundry who enjoyed distilling, there was no pathway to the industry. Um, but what there is in South Australia is a lot of wine and everyone knows a winemaker, right? So I pretty much just fell into the wine industry, studied, got bored, went traveling um, ended up in a grappa distillery in Friuli, in the northeast of Italy, um, making grappa. Uh, and the guy that owned that distillery uh, one day pulled me aside and kind of said, why haven't you started your own distillery at home in Australia? And I couldn't think of a good reason why I hadn't done it, so I came home and did it. Fantastic. So, And what does that, you know, so you came home and did it. That sounds yeah. that's pretty <laughs> yeah, simple that then, easy, right? Yeah. I mean, so you, how do you go about that? Um, so I guess I spent six years traveling, so six years overseas watching the international markets. Um, and then I don't know, you, just, you put a photo, genuinely, you know what happened. One day I put a photo on Facebook and said, I'm a distiller now. And everyone went, okay, <laughs> that was it. 
<laughs> and then newspapers started calling me and it all sort of went from there. But, yeah, yeah there's quite a lot of um, stuff you have to jump through, your hoops to jump through. So a lot of licensing, um, obviously getting a steel, which at the time you had, had to be imported from Europe. Uh, we couldn't, I couldn't afford that, so we built it. Um, it was you know, learning how to do that as well. Um, so it took, I think, mid-2014, uh, well, it was the end, end of 2013, I was in Italy with Bruno, um, and that was when we decided to do it. Mid-2014, I lodged, um, you know, set up the company and lodged license applications, and then went back to Italy to do another grupper season, and while we were away at the end of 14, all our licenses came through. So I came home at the end of 2014, like December 12, 2014 was our first distillation ever, legally. Um, and yeah, then it was just on from that. It was a pretty steep learning curve. I kind of laughingly say, um, you know, I was 26 and had no money, had very little business experience. If I, you know, wasn't so naive, I would never have done it. <laughs> I, I, I think that's actually quite important, isn't it? And it's something that a lot of business people say along the journey, you know, uh, if I knew then what I know now, yeah. I probably wouldn't have done it. No. But then would you not have? Because how amazing. Yeah, no, I still would have done it. Yeah. I just would have been a lot more informed. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what the learning process is all about, right? Exactly. I feel like I've done an MBA in, um, you know, five short years. of <laughs> In a practical version. So then what have been, what were some of those biggest challenges in the learning curve? Oh. Jeez, every single step along the way is remarkably rewarding. And I guess I didn't drop out of university like I finished the degree, but I didn't enjoy it because it was just a lot of sitting around listening to people. It's much more fun when it's hands-on and you get, you get, you know, it's quite rewarding. But yeah, you know, how do you start a business? How do you, what are you, what are you meant to do? What's a lawyer? Why are they so expensive? <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember actually we started the company in July 2014 and it took me a year to find an accountant which was quite lucky because it was at the end of my first financial year so I didn't <laughs> we didn't uh, we didn't miss anything oh, the, um, the accountant and the bookkeeper have been my most favorite thing in business yeah they're genius aren't they yeah because <laughs> it's not my skill set yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but I guess the biggest and hardest learning was how expensive it is to be successful so I was lucky you know we were um, we launched right at the perfect time. Like, couldn't have timed it any better. And that was just my circumstances led me to, you know, want to do something at the right time. And then experienced really, really, you know, pretty rapid growth and um, a lot of media attention and stuff. And like, I picked up national distribution within months of launching, which is kind of unheard of. You know, it never happened now unless you had a lot of money behind you. But then with, with success and growth, there's, a lot of you know capital input, um, a lot of time. So I thought you know you start become successful, happy days. But it's actually start become successful, and then um, need to invest a lot more to keep it going. Yeah, that was the hardest thing to mm. learn. And so in that journey, you you mentioned before that you're now in the new place in yes. this beautiful location at Lot 100, and with that has come partnerships and collaborations. Yeah. How did that come about? Um, so Adelaide is a small town, you know, um, everyone knows each other, um, especially in this industry, you know, food and beverage, um, we're all good mates, we're all good friends. So after, so I started and learnt my lesson of, um, needing more resources 
and that was when Steve and Toby from the Hillsider Company um, started chatting to me about a potential partnership. So yeah, that all came through um, in 2016. Uh, and then together we sort of worked our way towards you know, Lot 100, which is kind of, I don't know, it is, feels very much like the end point is what we've all been working for for a long time. But it's also very much just the beginning. It's a whole new chapter. Um, but there's five companies in here. Us, Adelaide Hills Distillery, uh, Mismatch Brewing, Hillsider, Interloper, and Ashton Valley Fresh. Um, and we're all connected in some way and all share the same dreams and stuff. So, And how important is that? collaboration and is it at times challenging because I love that we all share the same dreams but you are all different businesses you know how does that work the ebb and flow of collaborating but being individual yeah I I think um, the biggest strength is that we're all the same but we're all quite different so you know there's no real competition we're not after each other's sales Um, so we can work together really quite well what about like you know, on a day-to-day basis, how does that actually work? Uh, so, I mean, all the businesses are individual and we all um, run our own game, but we help each other where we can. We work together where we can. Um, Lot 100, the restaurant cellar door, is very much a collaboration and it represents all of us. Um, and it's got its own management team to run the place. Uh, and then, you know, each company gives its guidance as to how they want to be represented yeah there's not there's not too is i mean there's a lot of people involved but we all get along and we all share the same vision so it's really quite easy well that's great because i've been involved in different committees and generally it works okay but sometimes it can be really challenging particularly if you get quite opinionated or polar opinions within the group yeah yeah 100% um so we've all been working together for you know, four years. So we've worked through all that a long time ago. We all believe in each other and we know like if someone is going to do something, then we just back them. We don't um, offer the opposite point of view, which is quite often the case in committees. You know, you get half the people saying one thing, half the people saying another thing and then nothing happens. Um, But for us, if half the people want to go and do something, then we support it because we trust them. (laughs) And what a great situation to be in. And it obviously works because Lot 100 exploded onto the scene uh, and, you know, has pretty much been booked out or packed since you started. Yeah. It's been incredible to watch. What do you think was really the recipe to success in opening this venue? Um, I think there's just nothing like it. We just, you can come here and spend the whole day. Um, and we cater to everyone. So you have on the lawns out there, you know, you can have a hen's party at one end and a family at the other end. Um, there's no reason to ever leave. There's no reason to go anywhere else. It's, you know, if someone wants to have wine but someone else wants to have a beer uh, and, a, and the kids want to have juice, you know, then the only place you can go is here. Um, and then, you know, everyone involved has been doing it for so long. We know how to do it well. So... We really look after people. We offer a really high quality um, drinks, food, good times. You know, I, I, I call this place Pleasure Land because it's just nothing better. 
Well, it certainly seems to be keeping the punters happy because they keep coming back. And and my experience when I came here was, you know, the staff was so welcoming. We felt really well looked after and there was lots going on. So yeah. <laughs> definitely having experienced that. But, you know, it did seem to be really popular almost straight away. What yeah. was the build-up? How did you communicate that? How did you let people know? How did you get them to come along? I guess people have been watching all the companies for a few years and we've been we've always been talking about opening our own place. Um, and then, yeah, just let it out of the bag. I guess when a new venue opens in Adelaide, everyone knows about it straight away. Um, but they don't all – like you need to be offering something very good to stay ahead of the – stay busy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think word of mouth, marketing, word of mouth, you know. And we, we tantalised at the beginning with you were recently awarded the top worldwide best – Gin Distillery, is that right? Best Distillery, yeah. Distillery of the Year at the Icons Awards in London. So you've um, come back from London after winning this international award. Really, is that does it feel like it's this culmination point? Or is it again, is it another beginning? Um, <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's both, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's nice. We've always won awards for individual gins. Um, this one is like everything, everything you've done is the best. Uh, which is really cool, yeah. And you were saying, so, you know, Hendrix Gin has won this previously and Aviation Gin was runner-up, so you're in big company. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, some of the names on the the short lift were huge, you know, Hendrix, Bombay Sapphire, Aviation Gin. These are um, companies that have millions and millions of dollars of marketing budget um, and millions and millions of dollars of R&D going to every product and how to be different, how to be the best. and Also, hundreds of years of development, you know, like Bombay Sapphire has been going forever. It's one of the original gins. Whereas for us, you know, we're five years old, it was started by some kid in his laundry, zero dollars marketing budget. <laughs> um, and it also highlights the Australian industry. Um, we're really uniquely positioned over here to just totally dominate the world because, um, again, Gin has been going for 800 years or whatever since the 12th century. So they've been through pretty much every iteration of recipe they could ever think of um, and they've settled on what they like. But they did that without access to all the foods we have here in Australia. And we have some of the most interesting um, and gin-suitable foods in the world. So it stands to reason that we're going to just totally dominate the world in the next few years. Mm. And, and, you know, the beginning of world domination, I like that. Yeah. It is exciting when, you know, a a small distillery from Adelaide, which is a small town, can go and be recognised and celebrated on a world stage. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah, good feeling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, it's the the award you want to win. Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations. It's like the, like the Ballon d'Or of distilling. <laughs> so what do you do now with it? How do you utilise that? Uh, well, I put it on my bookshelf. That's <laughs> <laughs> it, I gave a right move on. No, nah, it's good. Um, yeah, hopefully we can use it, especially in the UK, as a point of difference and, you know, starting conversations. And it also, you know, helps just sort of reaffirms in everyone's mind Um that everything we make is really good and really tasty. 
So at the end of the day, if it doesn't taste good, there's no, no real point doing it. <laughs> and you mentioned, you know, that Australia is uniquely positioned with the foods that we have and you utilise a lot of native ingredients in your gin. Yeah. You know, how did that come about and why is that important to you? The Australian industry is in its infancy and it's important to look at what we have around us. So when gin developed, that's what they did. They looked at what they had around them and they used that. They found what was good. Um, and that's what we need to do here. So as a young industry, it's very, very exciting to find these flavours that have never been used before um, and that the world has never seen and integrate them into your recipe to make gins that are, you know, beating ones that have been developed for hundreds of years. And do you think it is that, that really, you know, the fresh take, new ingredients that is really allowing these, you know, young gins to punch above their weight on a world stage? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. It's, and, and it's not... It's the quality of it. It's not just um, finding things with funny names. It's the quality of the flavours you can get. Mm. Obviously, because it, you know, it wouldn't be winning awards if it didn't have that quality behind it. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, which is the most exciting thing. Yeah. Looking forward then, what do you see as the next exciting thing? Where are you hoping to take your gin? You know, what's the next part of your journey? World, world domination is, is always the goal. It's just like a nice lofty thing with no definition that you can aim for. <laughs> but yeah, gin, we, you know, we'll just take it to the rest of the world. We've been exporting for a while, but now we're in a position to really, really do it, um, do it properly. So that's very exciting. And then we've got whiskies coming online later in the year. So that's really exciting too, because we started sort of working on whiskey shortly after the gin. Um, it's just, it takes three years in a barrel before you can release the whiskey so that'll be really nice to see like we've got some of the biggest um, barrel holdings of whiskey in the state so we're, we're definitely going to have a crack. Oh good well I look forward to that. In conclusion can you share with me Sasha's be the drop tip so that's your top tip for communication or telling your story in a way that motivates and inspires others to get involved. The biggest thing I learned was you just have to back yourself that's it at some point you just have to go oh I'm doing it and I'm going to do it and that's it. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you've done it well. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming up. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.